are waiting for Christ's return, and it matters how we wait. It matters how we wait. Throughout the Sundays of Advent, our theme is preparing for Christ's coming. What are you doing to prepare because Christ is coming back? Jesus devoted much of his attention to this issue in the final days before his crucifixion. The apostles emphasized the return of Jesus Christ and how necessary it is for you and I to always keep that promise in view. That promise is double-sided. It is the promise of hope, but it's also the promise of judgment. For those who are waiting for him, he will appear a second time to fulfill their hope. But for those who are not waiting for the coming of Christ, his coming will be the beginning of the greatest time of judgment that God ever administered. We want to turn our attention this morning to Paul's letters to the Thessalonians. And I want to read specifically 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Both of these letters are very short. You can read them together in about 15 minutes. But the words that Paul has written in the first part of his second letter. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, and God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All of this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you, because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you, that God may count you worthy of his calling, and that by his power he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Let's look at some context this morning. And most of our study this morning will be in a contextual manner. Then we'll come to a few specifics at the end. First and Second Thessalonians were the first letters written by the Apostle Paul. He was on his second missionary journey. His first missionary journey had been through the provinces of Asia in what is now modern-day Turkey. On his second missionary journey, he had intended to go further into Asia toward the area of what is today modern-day Istanbul. And then further on. But we read that the Holy Spirit restrained him. And he had a dream of a man in Troas across the Aegean Sea in Greece. And that man was saying, come over and help us. And so the Apostle Paul knew that the Holy Spirit was indicating not to go to Asia, but to go to Europe. And so they set sail, they crossed over, and they first came to Philippi. And you remember the incidents related to Paul's stay in Philippi with Silas. Things were going well for a bit. People were coming to know the Lord. A prosperous woman named Lydia opened their home, opened her home to them, and there they stayed. But one day, as they were walking to the place of prayer, this woman who had been following them and crying out, I know who you are. You are the men who serve the living God. And Paul had had enough. And he turned around and he rebuked the demonic spirit that was operating within this fortune-telling woman. And as a result, her life was transformed. But there were some people who were not happy at all that they had lost the profit that she brought them. And so Paul and Silas were falsely charged, beaten and thrown in prison. And you remember the incredible story. As they were there in stocks, they sang praises to the Lord. And at midnight, there was an earthquake. Isn't it amazing how God can do something like this and specially shape what's going to be affected. Their bonds broke. The prison doors open. And the jailer rushed in, intending to take his life because he was under death penalty by the government if any prisoners escaped. And Paul said, no, don't do that. We are all here. The same God who opened the cell doors kept everyone else from escaping. And that night, that man and his family embraced the Lord Jesus Christ and were baptized. An amazing start. But it didn't go that well. They left there and they went to Thessalonica. And Paul did what he always did. He went to the Jewish synagogue. The Jews had been dispersed all over the known world from the time of the exile, 700 years before Christ. And so everywhere there were Jewish synagogues with something that developed during the time of the exile. So the Apostle Paul went to the Jewish synagogue and began to preach, and a number of people began to believe. 
largely Greeks because Thessalonica was almost exclusively a Greek city. But some of the Jews as well, there were prominent women who came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Jews who were jealous of the Apostle Paul, they had followed him when he was on his first missionary journey. They're still following him and stirring up trouble. The rejection that the chief priest in the Sanhedrin made of the Lord Jesus Christ when he stood before them, that spirit was still operating in the hearts of Jewish people everywhere. And so they stirred up trouble against the Apostle Paul. They caused a riot, and the Apostle Paul had to leave and travel on to the next city. He would subsequently write two letters to this church at Thessalonica. These are the first letters that the Apostle Paul wrote. And there were only about six months that lapsed between the first letter and the second letter. They are known as Paul's eschatological letters. And the coming of Christ is a dominant theme in both letters. Let's think for a moment about that word eschatology. It's a theological word. word. Theo meaning God, ology meaning what? Study up. Theology is the study of God, and eschatology is a branch of theology. Eschatology is the study of the final events of human history, the second coming of Christ, the day of the Lord, the final judgment, the reign of Christ, the new heavens, and the new earth. First and second Thessalonians are Paul's eschatological letters, and interestingly, they are the very first letters that he wrote. As I was giving you background about Paul's time in Thessalonica, the reality is he was only there a few weeks. Estimates range from three to four weeks. That was all the time that he had to preach the gospel. And yet, he had a powerful impact in just that very short period of time. His first letter, and both of them were written while he was in Corinth, his first letter was written just within a few months. And the second letter, just a few months after that. And think of this. Both letters were written within 20 years after Jesus had ascended back to the Father. Now that's significant. Why? Because those factors show us that the imminent coming of the Lord Jesus Christ was really, really, really on the hearts and the minds of the apostles and new believers. It wasn't something that they were thinking about will be in the far distant future. It was something that they were looking to see happen at any time. The Apostle Paul had emphasized the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to the Thessalonians. Because when it did not happen within the first few months after the Apostle Paul left, they had some concerns. What's going on? We expected him to come back at any time. But the amazing thing is that when the Thessalonians had heard Paul teaching 
about the coming of Jesus Christ, they embraced it with all of their hearts. It was central to apostolic teaching, and it became central to the Thessalonians. Look at the words from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9. Paul is writing about what others have heard regarding the Thessalonians. He said, we don't need to talk about your walk with Christ. Everybody else is talking about it. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. The Thessalonians were living with their eyes upward, looking for Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. When Jesus was with His disciples on His last evening before His betrayal, He said to them, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, in my Abba's house, there are many, many, many rooms. And I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will surely come back so that you may be where I am. That was his promise. Just 40 days later, the disciples were with Jesus on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus ascended back to heaven. Cloud hid him from their sight, the scripture says. And while the disciples were looking up, two angels appeared and said, why do you stand here looking up? This same Jesus that you have seen go will come back in like manner. The Apostle Paul then described what Jesus had been talking about, what Jesus promised. He described how it would take place. Look at these words from 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 4, you heard them read this morning. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Hallelujah. Remember what the angel said. This same Jesus that you saw will come back in like manner. Starting back in the 1800s, Charles Taz Russell, who was the founder of the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Watchtower Society, began to set a time and a date for the return of Jesus Christ. That was revised over a couple of times because we all know that that doesn't work out well. 
And finally, he landed on 1914. Jesus was coming back in 1914. Well, when he didn't show up, their explanation was, well, he actually did come back, but you can't see him yet. He set up his kingdom on earth in the Watchtower Society. Hmm. Not exactly what the Bible says, is it? And by the way, they've, they've kept updating things since then, and the most recent update that they've given is this. You know, Jesus has come back, but concerning when we are, people are really going to see him, our understanding is progressing, so we won't set any more dates. But be assured of this, he is here. Well, the Apostle Paul tells us that when he comes back, you will know it. I love what we are given as our hope in Christ. You know, every one of the apostolic letters in one way or another emphasizes this eternal hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not all of them are theological letters like these two, with the dominant emphasis being on the return of Christ. Nevertheless, it is central to what the apostles believe, and it is emphasized. So, for example, the first church that the Apostle Paul established when he got to Europe was in Philippi. We just described what took place there. When he wrote his letter to them while he was in prison in Rome, he said to them, I am confident that God who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. A little bit later, he said, I am torn between two perspectives. I would rather leave and be with the Lord, and yet it's important for you and the ministry if I stay. To be absent from the body, he said, is to be present with the Lord. That's one of the most powerful, significant, and encouraging truths that you and I have. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. What happens when a believer dies? They are in the presence of the Lord. Not in limbo, not in a place of nothingness. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And here the Apostle Paul begins that section. Here's two verses that we did not read. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. See, this was the problem. People had died since the time that the Apostle Paul had been there and told them, Jesus is coming back. Watch for his return. What happened to the people who died? And Paul wrote back to say, don't worry. We don't grieve like people who have no hope. Verse 14, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. What happens when someone dies? They are with the Lord. When Jesus returns, my dad's coming with Him. My mom's coming with Him. And He will raise their bodies, resurrected, transformed, and glorious like His own body to join their spirits. And if any of us are still around at that point, we will rise too. Amen. 
to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will ever be with him. Ah, that's our wonderful hope. As the Apostle Paul continued to write in his first letter, he reminded them that the return of Christ was not subject to setting times and dates. Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. But would come as Jesus had warned unexpectedly like a thief in the night. Be watching, Jesus said. Be watching. The Apostle Paul also warned them not to fall into a state of slumber but to be alert and ready so they would not be taken by surprise. He writes these words, But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like the others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. For a second time in his letter, the Apostle Paul has emphasized that the coming wrath of judgment, so extensively detailed in the revelation that was given to John, is not, is not the destiny of those who are in Christ. He wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. And now he affirms that again in verse 9, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Hallelujah. Now for a second time, the Apostle Paul also emphasizes that the promised return of Christ should be the constant subject of our conversation with each other. The return of Jesus Christ should be the constant subject of our conversation with one another. After he described the return of Christ in chapter 4, he said this, we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Here in chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Let me ask you. 
How often this week did you talk to someone else about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Parents, how many times this week, how many days this week, before your kids left to go to school, did you say, be careful how you live? Jesus may be coming back today. How many times did you encourage someone who was going through a difficult time? Be encouraged. Today may be the day that Jesus comes back. Stand strong in Him. We will make it. We will make it. The return of Christ should be our constant focus. Now, the second letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, just a few months later, was written to address a false notion that had developed there in the church at Thessalonica. Some thought that because of the persecution they were experiencing, they were already in the midst of the terrible time known as the day of the Lord. The time that was depicted in the Old Testament in connection with the coming of the Lord. A number of years ago, Harold Campy, how many of you remember Harold Campy? Family Life Radio out of, they had a station out of Annapolis, a whole network of stations. He's a great believer, a godly man. If you listen to their radio station, much of the time was spent reading scripture. They really honored the word of God. But he had set several dates for the return of Christ. All of you were living when he set the last date. Hasn't been that long ago. Back in the teens of the 2000s. And people who followed his teaching were so convinced that many of them sold everything that they had, gave away the money, Some of them used that money to travel across the United States and warn people that Jesus was coming back. And that had happened several times under his leadership. Jesus didn't come back. He himself said, don't set dates or times because only the Father knows. People have come up with all kinds of creative calculations. That's how the Jehovah's Witnesses arrived at 1914. After several revisions, of course. Counting the number of years and working out this equation and that equation, and lots of people have done it, not just them. But no one knows the day or the hour. And here are the Thessalonians. Some of them think we missed the return of Christ. We're already experiencing the day of the Lord when the wrath of God is being poured out because of the persecution that we are facing. And it resulted in some people, they just quit their jobs. Well, what happens if you quit your job? You still have to eat. You still have to pay rent. And so when Jesus didn't show up, they needed somebody to pay their rent for them. They needed somebody to buy their food for them. And others had just become completely idle, and they were going around spreading this notion Paul said, get back to work. 
And we are to stay focused as we wait for the Lord's return. And then he gave this bit of advice that you and I as parents need to teach our children. It's been a discussion at men's prayer breakfast at times. Josh will remember, if you don't work, you don't eat. If you want to eat, son, here are the chores you need to do. Principle of life. Paul addresses that in chapter 3. But what he says to them specifically, don't stop working, don't become idle. Instead, never tire of doing good. Never tire of doing good. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul is speaking about the resurrection of, of the dead based on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his most extensive treatise on the resurrection. And he ends it with these words, Therefore, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. If we are truly waiting for the Lord, it is motivational. Jesus said, Who is the wise and faithful servant? It is the one who knows his master is coming back and is making sure that he's doing everything that his master wants him to do before his master returns. He doesn't know the day or the hour, but he is making sure that he is on task and accomplishing all that his master entrusted to him to do. Never tire of doing good. The fact is, it matters how we wait. It matters how we wait. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 5, All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Whether we are reading the letters of Peter, as we did last week, or of Paul, we hear the same critical emphasis. We hear the same emphasis on waiting well for Christ's return. In reality, it's not their emphasis. It was the urgent warnings of Jesus that we must relentlessly guard against the inevitable tendency of our here and now lives, obscuring what is most important. There are so many things that we feel we must do, so many demands that are placed upon us, so many expectations in our world, it is easy for us to become preoccupied with everything else and not be focused on the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus told story after story, parable after parable, gave emphasis after emphasis. In one instance, in Luke chapter 18, he told the story of a widow 
who pressed an unjust judge to render a fair judgment on her behalf. He told it to tell his disciples that they should always pray and never give up. That's what he said first, and he told the story. And then he ended it by saying, however, I wonder when I come back, will I even find any faith left on the earth? Amazing. Hearing Jesus say, I wonder when I come back, will you, will you, will you even be walking in relationship and faith with me? It is easy for all the demands of life to overtake us. And now we're thinking about them, preoccupied with them, pouring our energy and our time into all those things instead, or to the exclusion, rather, of being preoccupied with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the words of Jesus. In Matthew 24, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered in the, into the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill, probably talking because that's what women do when they are together working, right? Guys, we just go about our work. We don't say much. They'll be there talking. Suddenly, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Toward the end of Jesus' teaching, when he withdrew from public ministry to be with his disciples, he said these words. Luke 21, verses 34 to 36 in the Living Bible. Watch out! Watch out! Don't let my sudden coming catch you unawares. Don't let me find you living in careless ease, parting and drinking and occupied with the problems of this life like the rest of the world. Keep a constant watch and pray that if possible, you may arrive in my presence without having to experience these horrors. Jesus rescues us from the coming wrath. Amen. Those were Paul's words to the Thessalonians. But Jesus is warning us not to lose our focus, but to keep a constant watch and pray that we will be counted worthy to stand before the Son of Man and escape the horrors that are coming on the earth. Let's end with three questions that we need to ask ourselves out of the time that we have spent looking at God's Word today. Three questions to ask ourselves. Number one, do I have a commendable faith? Do I have a commendable faith? 
In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, in Paul's first letter, he began it by saying, We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. He commended their faith. In his second letter, he said to them, We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. Do you have a commendable faith? Jesus was very emphatic about our need to keep growing in Him. Listen, if you are truly in Christ, your life will show. There will be the fruit of Christ's likeness in your life. Your life will be characterized by the things that characterize the Lord Jesus Christ. Years ago, when I was working construction in Massachusetts, we were building a church. And on the building committee was an especially profane man. And he would come around in the afternoons to check on things on behalf of the building committee. And he would argue about this, and he would discredit that, and he would do so with the most profane and the most vulgar language. And I said to the pastor one day, boy, that guy doesn't evidence any kind of regeneration, does he? You know what the word regeneration means? It means to make new. It's based on 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. The Holy Spirit makes us new. We are born again. And the pastor said to me, well, you know, we really can't know because we can't see a person's heart. It's the very same thing that many Christians said about Donald Trump. But the fact is, we can know. We should know. Jesus said, by their fruit, you will know. Jesus said, when you open your mouth, what's in your heart comes out. And our lives should manifest the Lord Jesus Christ. And you and I should be growing in Christ. Jesus said, I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. He is the gardener. He is the one who does the tending. Every branch in me that bears fruit, he prunes so it will bear more fruit. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he cuts off. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you do remain in me, and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. Those branches that do not bear fruit, Jesus said, are cut off and cast into the fire. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. 
a fruitless life is not in the vocabulary of Christianity. Our lives should evidence that we are following Christ. And the second thing, does my relationship with Christ demonstrate to others what it means to have a single-minded focus on following Christ? Listen to the words that the Apostle Paul wrote in his first letter, beginning with verse 6. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. This is really amazing. We're not talking about our era when everything is instantly known. We're not talking about 50 years ago. We're talking about an age when news traveled on foot. And yet, the Thessalonians have become so well-known for their single-minded focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, for their radical transformation of life. They turned from everything that characterized their former life to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. In the few weeks that they were with the Apostle Paul, he became their pattern. They imitated his wholehearted devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. And people who knew them were talking about them everywhere they went, across two of the provinces in Greece, Macedonia where they were, Achaia in the south. Everyone was talking about the Thessalonian followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. They did not have a tepid testimony. They did not have a convenient commitment to Christ. They were totally sold out to Him. Not much light comes through a dirty window. And when that window is clean, the light streams through it. And when our lives are completely devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus will be seen. Third question, do I make the coming of Christ the centerpiece of my conversation with others? We read those verses from 1 Thessalonians 1, chapter 4 and chapter 5. The coming of Jesus Christ should be the centerpiece of our conversation. We should never have a conversation with someone else where it does not come up. When we leave one another, our goodbye should be, keep looking up. Jesus may come in the next hour. Jesus may still come today. I'm praying for you that you will be faithful to Jesus Christ, that you will be ready when he comes back. If I don't see you 
and Jesus comes back, we'll meet him together in the air wherever we are. Keep watching for his return. Friends, it is that important. It is that critical. And it should be that important. I don't know about you, but in our family, we can't wait to go home to Abba's house. We'll ask ourselves during the week, do you think this might be the day when Jesus comes back? Wouldn't it be so great if he came back today? The songwriter wrote, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. The return of Jesus Christ, being ready for his return, is more important than you passing finals this month. It's more important than you getting a good review at work. It's more important than any number of decisions that we make related to this life. It is the most important thing. May we not live for what is secondary and will not matter when Jesus comes back. Let's pray together. So, Father, thank you. Thank you, first of all, that you so loved us that you sent your son to be the payment for our sin. The only sufficient payment. We thank you again. The wrath for our sin fell on your son, our savior. We're not appointed to the wrath that this world will experience. You've already resolved it for us. Our lives are hidden with Jesus in you. And when he appears, we will also appear with him in glory. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, Father, that you have given us this living hope, this blessed hope, this witness in our own spirits concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. Thank you that we can call you our Abba and know that you have reserved a place for us. Yes. That it's your desire that we share in your eternal life. That we experience your incomparable kindnesses throughout the endless. Father, thank you that we have this hope. We pray that our eyes would not be taken off of that hope to be set on anything else. That we would not neglect our efforts to be ready in order to do something else. You promised that if we seek you first and seek your kingdom first, you will give order and blessing to every other area and every other need in life. So Lord, we pray that you will help us not to get this wrong. Help us, Father, 
through your Holy Spirit to keep our eyes on Jesus as a bride waiting for her wedding. Longing for that moment. May we be a worthy bride. Worthy to stand before you because we are living for you and for you alone. Lord, cause these words that we have shared together this morning to have a life-changing impact upon us this week in how we live for your return. 